please. Have a new lady here. His name is Thomasina. One, two, three. Everybody hear me okay like this, or do I need to, uh, do we need to turn it up? Because as most of you know, whoever in a class with me, I don't like raising my voice, so we have. What? And this morning, or this afternoon, my wife isn't here today. Poor thing, well, not poor thing. She made an appointment several months ago and then didn't realize until yesterday, <gasps> it conflicts with the pearls. But since she's not here, I don't have to behave. Yeah, but telling her and her being here are two different things. So those of you who know me know I'm not full of foolishness at all, you know. Not me. Well. Let's begin this way. What I've done <clears throat> is to just to give you the format or the outline or the notes or whatever that I'll be following. And I want to follow this pretty closely. And I've, what? <laughs> you don't think I'll pour water on you? Oh, I have no doubt. <laughs> Anybody else want to joke with me? <laughs> So, um, I said follow it. I didn't say how closely I would follow it. Did I say how closely I would follow it? The word was follow. How many of you have had children, you say follow me, and then they're 15 blocks down the street. But I'm following you, mama. Uh, so giving you the, outline, uh, the notes, but I think it's always helpful to have either abbreviated notes or whatever. And so what I've done this morning, and when I say that, I always stop myself and correct myself. And I want to make sure you hear this from me. It, when I say what I have done or what I wanted to do, this is what I mean, but I do go back and say it clearly. What I believe the Holy Spirit has given me instruction to do, that's what I mean. And if I don't say it that way and I catch myself, you'll hear me say, and I apologize. I'm sorry, I said it the wrong way. You've heard me many times. Because I personally do not like, I've decided to do this, or my thought was this. We're people of God, and it's the Holy Spirit who is our life. He's the one who gives us instruction and leads us, correct? And gives us understanding, doesn't he? And so let's make a practice of much more saying Rather than, you know, I thought of that, to say, you know, the Lord gave me this thought. That kind of thing. So, thinking about and getting ready to prepare for this, I just felt the Lord for us to do it this way. And so, hopefully this will be somewhat meaningful to you. One of the main issues of weakness that I see in the church, whether this church or the church in general, <clears throat> is a weakness of seeing any particular part of the Bible, and I'm going to try to get through this before 5 o'clock, the weakness of seeing any part of the Bible apart from the entire Bible. How many of you took English and you studied 
plays. Act 1, Act 2, and then Act 2 has four what? Scenes. You, you remember all that kind of stuff? Shakespeare, Act 1, Scene 1, whatever. And each scene, and I mentioned this Sunday morning, each scene, wherever it is, in the beginning, in the middle, or at the end, has to do in some way, hopefully to some significance, it has to do with the theme. The theme. And so the theme is that general category, that general statement, that general purpose for the play. What the author wants you to know. And then all these scenes within it are those aspects that contribute to the understanding of the main theme and move the purpose of the play forward to the end, right? So you're not reading a, a scene and all of a sudden you're reading a scene in Shakespeare, in uh, what is it, jo Julius Caesar, and then the next scene is about Henry the uh, Second. Wait, what's that? Why are we just studying scene? No, they all have to hold together. And so one of the big concerns that I always have, and those of you who've been in class with me enough, you know this, is that every time we teach the Bible, now I don't mean maybe every time we do a series, because hopefully you'd be in there, but every time we teach, what we want to make sure is that we see whatever it is that we are teaching, not only in the aspect of what it is in itself, but what it is in the entirety of the whole Bible. Because we must see that the entire Bible, from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22, is a comprehensive revelation of God, having many scenes. Each scene pertaining to the main theme and moving the main theme forward, correct? So that's what you're going to see here. <clears throat> so, thank you for coming back to Pearl's. How many of you, this is the first time you ever have been here? Anybody brand new, you've not been here? Oh, you've not been here, T? Okay. I know how many of you know Terry Morris, but good to see you, Terry. Linda, you've been here. You didn't have to raise your hand. We just, you just didn't know you have been here before, Linda. Everybody know Linda, Linda Roberts. She raises her hand, but she's been here, but she's not aware that she's been here. You have to kind of help Linda a little bit. Anytime I go on a bus trip with uh, everybody, I want to sit next to Linda because that's going to be the most hilarious bus trip we ever take. So, again, thank you for being here for Pearls. Uh, we're glad that, you know, you've decided to return. The Holy Spirit hopefully has brought you back. And the topic over the next several weeks will be <clears throat> the full armor of God. So, in your uh, notes, you'll see that. So, let's open, if you would... Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, and I say it that way because you already have it open, but some may be listening by television, or whatever you call that. It's not, that's not the right way to say it, is it? How, what? By computer, however. So, the full arm of God, we see this beginning in Ephesians chapter 6, verses eight, 10 to 18. So, let's read it together. Verse 10 begins, <clears throat> the, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor or the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And by the way, when I read this, begin to pick up, even underline or circle the important aspects here. 
be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And make sure you put on the full arm of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. All of a sudden you see something is happening here. We have the Lord here and we have Satan or the devil here. For we do not wrestle. What word? Wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, we don't are not supposed to be wrestling against ourselves. I'm not your enemy, you're not my enemy. But we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We're talking about this earth that it is today, spiritually a present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies or in the heavenly places. <clears throat> so when you look at the Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has explains the, the work of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in our salvation and the significance of the church to God's plan to manifest its glory. So the first three chapters are about the presentation of the Trinity in verses 3 to 14. In verses 3 to 6, the Father is the one who proposes our uh, creation and our salvation in in chapter oh I thought someone was talking but and chapters verses 7 to 12 the son redeems us by his blood and in verses 13 to 14 we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit takes the redeeming work of Jesus upon the cross to forgive us of our sin, and he applies it to us, and by doing so, he brings us, the Holy Spirit brings us into the church. It's called being born again. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Then Paul takes the rest of the three, first three chapters and begins to talk about this church, what it means to God. What's God's purpose? God's purpose is to glorify himself in his Son and through his people who are now relationally the body of Christ. Okay, are you with me now? Then in chapters 4 to 6, 9, because remember today I'm starting at 6, 10. From 4 to 6, 9, Paul begins to, how did this work out? So he starts chapter 4, what? I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, entreat you, urge you, that you may walk in a manner worthy of of the calling with which you have been called, and all humility, and it goes on. And then it begins to say, here's some of the things we're to be doing as Christ's body to manifest the glory of God. Here's some of the things we should not be doing in order to not manifest the glory of God. So he's going through all these, if you would, do's and don'ts. Not do's and don'ts in order to be saved, but do's and don'ts because we're saved. How many of you know there's no way for your little children to become your children by doing and don'ting. The decision to become your children or not your children's children uh, decision, right? That's the mom and daddy's decision. Do you, do you know that? Everybody's up with me on biology in here? But once the child is born, then the doing and the don'ting begins. Don't eat that. Do eat that. So we as believers... Remember, before we're born into the kingdom, that's God's work by the Spirit. Once we're born into the kingdom, as we grow, we grow in cooperation with our parent, the Holy Spirit, as we do's and don'ts. So that's what's happened. Now in chapter 6, verse 10 is where we start this morning. Paul 
tells us that we are in a war. We're in a war for the glory of God and that we need to put on the full armor of God for our defense. We're in a war. And so this is one of the, again, one of the weaknesses that we see in the church. Too many believers don't understand, don't see, perhaps don't even agree, don't even believe it. Many believers don't even believe this, that there is a spiritual contest. Sorry, wrong word. There is a spiritual struggle. Sorry, wrong, wrong word. There is a spiritual war, a battle going on, a great cosmic battle going on. If you're going to believe the Bible, you will have to believe this. Because you cannot take part of what the Bible says, I believe that, but I'm not going to believe this. You either take all of what God says, or you don't take any of what God says, right? You don't eat just part of a meal. If you're a mama, you have the son eat what? The whole meal. The whole meal. And so there's a war going on. <clears throat> so, the enemy. Why does Paul use this military terminology? Remember, the whole arm of God wrestling against flesh and blood and the rulers and principalities. This is military stuff. This is army. This is fighting. This is battling. This is king against king, kingdom against kingdom. There is an enemy out there who is at war with God's purpose in the church. And so he's at war with God's purpose, therefore he's at war against us. This enemy is known by several titles. You've heard these titles. Satan, the devil, the evil one, the god of this world. You've heard some of these titles before. Satan has, is known by several kinds of titles. And so this enemy first appears. Where? Where do we first see him? In Genesis chapter 3, in the garden. And he tempts Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember that tree? The Lord creates Adam and Eve in chapter 2. And when he creates them, he has told Adam, he says, I'm giving you all this, this great garden. Now, you see that one tree right there, Adam? You see it? Yeah. You see that? Okay. Okay. You got your eyes on it? Okay. Make sure you're looking at it. That's the tree. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree, lest you shall surely die. That's Genesis 2, 16 and 17. If you need a reference, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. He says, if you eat of that, in other words, if you disobey, death comes in. Why? Death to your obedience to me. Death to our relationship. Death comes in. The curse of death is pronounced when there's a disobedience. You know that someone disobeying you, your children disobeying you, there's an aspect of death in that. Don't you feel it when your child disobeys you? There's something wrong in that. Are you with me on this? There's something going on that's not right. And he says, if you eat it, you're going to die. I'm just letting you know now. If you play in the street and you get hit by the truck, what's going to happen? You're going to die. He's just telling them the consequence of disobedience. Now, what was this purpose <clears throat> that God created man? What was Satan after in opposing God in tempting Adam and Eve to rebel, to sin? What was Satan after? 
Satan was trying to prevent Adam and Eve from fulfilling God's purpose for them by creating them in his image. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, Genesis 1.26. And as God's image bearers, Adam and Eve were to be fruitful and multiply and subdue and rule the earth. You see that in verse 26. And so Adam and Eve were to be God's representative rulers over the earth. And as they obeyed God, then the glory of God and the very character of God himself would be displayed through Adam and Eve's obedience to the commands that God had given to them. And so Adam becomes God's agent to rule the earth. He rules in God's name. And as he does that obediently to God, the God's rule and goodness and favor and strength and authority is manifested through what? Adam's rule. Do we see that? Okay, you understand this, do you? Your children very often represent you, and so if something happens, what is one of the thoughts of the mom and the dad? Wow, you've made me to look like a whatever because you did that. They represent us. And so Satan is against this. And so as you know, Adam and Eve fell for the temptation, and they rejected God. And sin came into the world. And so when Adam fell, Satan, remember, Adam was given the rule. He was to be made king of the earth in the name, you know, for, in, in the name of God for, as God's regent. But when Adam and Eve submitted themselves to Satan by going with his temptation, they literally bowed down to Satan and offered themselves to Satan's rule. Do you see that? When you give in to temptation, when you sin, you offer yourself to that which tempts you. Correct? You offer yourself to that, submitting to it. You don't think that's way. That's what you do, but you do. And when that happens, Satan became the god of this world. Second Corinthians four four, the god of this world. And so he was given rulership over all the world. Another good verse is First John five nineteen. The entire world lies in the authority of the evil one. Now that's God's view. That's what God says. Now, Linda, when God says it, what does that mean? It's true. That's what God says. Well, I don't believe it. Well, it's just what God the Creator has said. And as a result, the Lord pronounces a curse on the world. And he curses the entire creation and he curses uh, Satan. In other words, he pronounces the judgment of condemnation and death upon the creation because of the rebellion. And so, in Romans, I'm sorry, in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, I think I have that, yes, you have my notes. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, curse are you. And in verse 15, I will put enmity, in other words, make you an enemy, right? Enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring or your seed, meaning your people, and her offspring or her seed, who is Christ. You'll see that if you look up Galatians 3, 16. So even, look, even in Genesis 3.15, the Bible is talking about Christ. The seed of the woman is the coming deliverer, the Messiah, the coming king who will win back God's world to God's people. 
by overthrowing the rule of Satan at the cross. That's what's going to happen. And he shall, who? The seed of the woman, the Messiah. He shall bruise you as to your head, and you shall bruise him as to his heel. I put it that way because that's what the Hebrew means. He will bruise you, your head, and just don't really mean crush your head and your heel. He will bruise you. So this seed of the woman, this Messiah, this deliverer, this coming king, God's king. Adam failed to be God's king, so God is sending his son to be the king, correct? And his that king shall destroy the rule of Satan. How? In this great battle, in this great conflict, God's king, the seed of the woman, will be hurt in his heel. He's going to have nails driven in his feet. But Satan, in the death of Jesus, will have his head crushed. Why is it significant when he says his head? Because of the authority is the head. Where does the crown sit? On the head. The head is the symbol of the authority. And Satan's authority will be broken. And so, what does the Lord do in Genesis 3.21? He clothes the Adam and Eve with the garments of skin. Meaning immediately that the... What does the garments of skin presuppose? What happens when you skin an animal? It bleeds. It bleeds. So immediately in Genesis 3.21, the word is telling you, the Lord is telling you what? How is this seed of the woman going to destroy Satan at the cross? There's going to be a blood shedding. He's going to shed his blood. Already in Genesis, the whole, whole um, uh, the gospel is right there in the first 21 verses of uh, chapter 3 of Genesis. So you see, we don't have to wait to the New Testament to know what's going on. We just have to believe what the Old Testament says. And so the battle for God's glory, God's rule through his people began between Satan and the seed of the woman. And so let me skip ahead a little bit. I know I'm taking too long for you. So, how are we to protect ourselves from Satan's attacks? We are to put on God's full armor. We are to wear this armament that God gives to us. And so let's look at the last section and understand this. <clears throat> when Paul is speaking about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, he's speaking about an entire, if you would, outfit. It's going to be given to us in six categories plus the seventh, which is the attitude or the atmosphere in which we put on the armor. So there are six pieces of armor, but the last will be the attitude. So I say there are seven. And so it, it represents an entire outfit. It is categorized one, two, three, four, five, six to be discussed and to be understood as to the various elements of the armor. You got it? Part of the armor has to do with my feet. Part of the armor has to do with my waist, the belt of truth. Part of it has to do with the protection of my heart or my chest. Part of it has to do with my helmet. Part of it has to do with a shield. And then I have a sword. So it, it just talks about the various aspects of the armor as to its function within me to protect me from the attempts of the enemy. But really, the armor is not six pieces. It's one cohesive dress, if you would. One cohesive putting together the whole thing. And so, what is the armor? The armor, and this is very important for us to get, 
and I don't think I'll go into detail in the rest of it. You can read this. <clears throat> the armor is Christ himself. And so over the next several weeks, several of the fellows will be in here talking about the first piece of armor and the second piece. Each one of these is a description of a particular aspect of the person and work of Christ in me, guarding me internally and guarding me externally from the internal attacks of sin and temptation and from the external attacks of sin and temptation. And so what we have here in Ephesians chapter 6 <clears throat> is the description of what we are to be wearing as believers. And so the Bible says, put on, put on the new self, meaning that new person in Christ. In other words, the apostle could have said, put on Christ. We have now as believers, we have Christ living us, the hope of glory. Christ, the hope of glory. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. Romans 5, 5, for the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Every believer has the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in us forming us into the very person of God's Son. He's recreating in us the very person and the very work of the Lord Jesus. So we can say we have Christ in us by the Spirit. And that means now we are actually clothed with Christ, aren't we? Correct? It's not that I'm going to be, I am clothed. Well, what does he mean by putting on? Putting on means making a daily conscious, first of all, recognition that I better not go out into that world or face today without submitting to and asking for the Holy Spirit to dress me in the fullness of Christ. I need every aspect of him that I can have. Correct? I need that. And then as I walk through the day, I need to be consciously aware of asking the Holy Spirit to protect me or whatever area it is that I'm, where I'm being attacked. And to be consciously aware that I am wearing the armor and, as it were, putting it on, you know, mentally. Does that make sense to you? Putting it on cognitively, in other words, with your thoughts and with your mind. You have it on, but putting it on in a way that you're using it. So haven't, how many of you have ever told your children, look, you have a good mind, why aren't you using it? You knew the answer to that. Why didn't you just use what God has given you? Haven't we ever done that? Right? Well, what do you mean? Putting on the armor, we had to use. You have a good mind, so use it. We have the armor of God. Why? Because we're believers, so what? Use it. And so over the next weeks, some of the brothers are going to be in here explaining each piece of armor. And then we'll bring it to a conclusion at the end. I think it's what, May 2nd or May whatever it is, way down the line, uh, whatever, 24th. And we'll end with verse 18, which is in all prayer and supplication. And we'll conclude the whole series. But our hope is this. Don't look at each piece individually, but look at each piece individually 
as each piece is connected intricately to every other piece so that it is all one piece of armor. If any of you have ever done any tapestry work or crocheting, you know the things are made up of all kind of little strings, right? And you may look at a little string in and of itself. But what should you do when you do that? Back away to see that string within the context of what? The entire. Because it's the entire thing that's so important. Amen? And so, let me see if Belinda, where's Belinda? Okay. I think she asked me to do something at the end and I don't remember what it was. But that's her fault for not being here. What is that? Oh, there's an info, oh, oh, info card. She wants you all to fill it out. Okay. And I think you all be sitting at the tables having a little discussion. Uh, thank you for being here and God bless you.